The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. Now we're going to turn to the issue of, well, what happens if a dog attacks someone because there have been more than 160 personal injuries claims brought as a result of dog attacks in the last two years. Liam Crowley, you're a solicitor with McCarthy and Company Solicitors. That seems like quite a significant amount of cases. And what sort of things do the people bringing the cases look for? How much money might they get in the event of an attack by a dog? And what happens? Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Well, Matt, I suppose it really varies. It depends on the nature of the injury, obviously. Uh, frequently, when clients are ringing me up, they... They don't know themselves what they're seeking for. They've just suffered nasty injuries and they're seeking some recourse. Um, It's impossible to value a case until such time as the injuries have resolved and and you know where you're at. But there's a fairly broad spectrum in relation to these injuries. Um, Typically speaking, you're looking at scarring uh, and sometimes psychological injury. Uh, For scarring, the range is fairly broad. If you're talking about minor scarring on a a limb, you're talking about somewhere evaluation between 1,000 and 40,000 the scale goes up higher than the more prominent the scar is if there are more scars. And then, of course, the age of the individual and uh, if there's psychological injury, always up to 200,000 would be the, the height of the award that the court can award under the personal injuries guidelines. Yeah, but if an award like that is made, what are the chances of being able to collect it from the owner of the dog? Well, it's a good point. Um, Typically speaking, uh, you would hope that a responsible owner has insurance in place, be it their own uh, home insurance or a policy of insurance specifically for the dog. Uh, in those circumstances, the insurance policy will pay out both the compensation to the injured party, uh, their legal costs if they arise, if the matter has proceeded to court after the prior process, and also any special damages. Those, those are out-of-pocket expenses that a person might sustain because of their injuries, such as medical treatment, any loss of earnings, so on. Liam, does home insurance, your house insurance, actually cover you for damages that are awarded against you because your dog bites somebody? Uh, It should do, but it's not automatic. And what I would encourage dog owners to do, and I've done it myself, is to contact your home insurance provider to find out, first of all, does your policy cover it or or do you need to notify them in in advance? Uh, And uh, secondly, what exclusions are in place on the policy? I myself, about four years ago, contacted my own insurers when purchasing a new dog. And while my dog was covered, I was surprised that any domestic employees, if I had hired someone to do some gardening for me, they may not necessarily have been covered under my policy of insurance. And so I, I sought to ex- extend that cover to ensure that cover was there. But I think as a responsible dog owner, you, uh, it is safer to make sure that their policy is in place by contacting your insurance company or taking out a specific policy. I, I, know, I know some people are bringing their dogs to work and are encouraged by the employers to do so. If your dog <laughs> bites a work colleague, uh, do you end up having to cover that or might it be that your employer, because it's let you bring the dog in, that well, is liable? A very, a very uh, interesting question, one I hadn't considered up to now because I wasn't aware that employers were doing that. I certainly bring my own dog to work. Um, yeah, first of all, uh, the owner's dog uh, has strict liability in relation to their own dog under the Control of Dogs Act. Uh, what that essentially means is uh, just because this is uh, the first attack that a dog has made, it doesn't get you off the hook that you didn't know the dog had a propensity for violence. The, the Act make that, makes that quite clear. From the employer's point of view, they must consider their own duty care and obligations, but they don't have such a stringent test against them. They, they, they're covered under the usual rules of negligence. 
But should they have been aware of this, uh, or ought they have made um, inquiries in relation to the, the type of dog that was being brought in, uh, and should there be safeguards in place? But uh, an unusual question, question Matt, I haven't, haven't come across that one yet. Okay, I bet you you will know. Hey, Tim Kirby's <laughs> with us as well, veterinary surgeon and pet bond founder. Hello, Tim. Tim, is even the friendliest dog potentially a dog that might bite somebody? I would say, Matt. You know, we're we're very much aware that there is a list of banned breeds and dangerous breeds. Uh, you know, uh, latch on to that, that phrase, those 10 specific breeds has been dangerous. But in reality, Matt, there's no such thing as one definite breed of dog being dangerous. What I would say is people need to behave responsibly around every single breed of dog. And that's really, really important. And what we often see is people, you know, they act a little bit recklessly around the non the dangerous breeds or the non-restricted breeds and that often leads to provocation of dogs. It leads to people making a lot of assumptions and not respecting dogs as they should be and I find that that actually leads to a lot of problems that we see. Okay, so um, is it then down to owners as well to work to make sure that their dog, no matter what the provocation, will not respond with a bite? Yeah, and it really Matt, goes back to the very, very early stages of a puppy's life because from three days old to 16 weeks old is really what we call the golden period of socialising a puppy. So that's the period when a puppy actually realises, OK, what's normal? How should I behave in this society? What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? And what we've seen in recent years is just a mass production of puppies from very, very large industrial-scale units and puppy farms in those areas, people don't actually invest the time one-to-one with puppies, showing them how they should be socialised, showing them you know, different stimuli, different noises, different people, different animals, and then the puppies don't really know how to react in society. So it's really, really important that puppies get off to the very, very best start from the earliest days of their lives. But that's really interesting because you say three days old, which is so small to yeah. 16 weeks, but from what I hear, most people tend to get their puppies at around eight weeks or so once they've been vaccinated. So does that mean that they then have already missed a serious amount of time in which they should have been working with their new dog and in which that dog may not have actually received the training that it should have had? Yeah, I mean, with responsible breeders, mass and ethical breeders that we would certainly work with, they would have started as soon as the puppies were born, that whole socialisation, the whole integration of the puppy, exposing them, as I said, to the different stimuli. When you actually then acquire a puppy at eight weeks old, you know, and you welcome it into your family home, hopefully for for the next 15 years, you're actually continuing the socialisation. You're not actually starting from a blank canvas. And, you know, if you're in that scenario where you are starting from scratch, that is usually a sign that there could be an issue with the puppy down the line. So I would always say to people that the history of the puppy, where it's coming from, and ensuring correct socialisation, that is equally important as the medical history of the puppy having been completed. I just want to finish with Liam Crowley. We're gone over time, but Liam, there's a very interesting question from a listener. I think this may be a personal one. Can you ask what the situation, if you are a dog walking service and the dog you're walking bites someone? I would have thought that if you're offering a dog walking service, one of the first things you should be doing is taking out insurance to protect yourself in the event that the dog you're walking bites somebody. Absolutely. Uh, I suppose when you're taking that dog for what you're offering that service, you're saying to someone that you will be responsible for that dog during those hours. I suppose just to be clear, though, that doesn't 
prevent someone from also pursuing the owner of the dog because there is strict liability against the dog owner. Um, the other thing I should say, Matt, it's not necessarily a dog that is behaving badly and aggressive. I have had a case where a dog was being overly friendly and bowled someone over and, and caused them a fractured wrist. So even if your dog is a pleasant and lovely fellow and well socialised, just be cautious of that. And again, I stress, you need to have your insurance in place for your own protection and also the protection of any, any victim. All right, Liam Crowley from McCarthy and Company Solicitors and Tim Kirby, veterinary surgeon and Pet Bond founder. Thank you very much for joining us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here.